Paul Blart, Legislature Cop. This week, the province has announced that they're going to solve all of our downtown disorder with 12 rent-a-cops. Plus, when AI layoffs close the door, a computer intelligence window opens. Or something like that. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we are Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 207. We plugged Chinatown Dining Week off the top of last week's episode, and it's still not over. As you're listening to this, you can still go run out and get some $10 or $20 deals from Chinatown. Mac, did you have anything good this week? Uh, we've had uh, a number of them so far, yeah. We had um, some food from Cochin Saigon. We did get one of those cakes. We had some pho. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's been a tasty week, I have to say. My uh, standout wasn't actually the $10 bakery deal from Hong Kong Bakery, but it was the gift card where you got $24 worth of stuff for only $20 at Shan Shan Bakery. Mm. And oh boy, they've got a lot of stuff there. I love Shan Shan. Hot dog buns are my jam. I think I might have said that last week, but... I look forward to those. One of the standouts for me that I didn't expect, they have these sort of like cinnamon cream horns that mm. like the first bite of it, I was like, eh, this isn't into it. But by like the sixth or seventh bite, I'm like, can I have six more of these now? It was <laughs> a very addictive quality. Uh, so once again, go down to Chinatown. You've got a couple more days. Buy some stuff. It'll be fun and delicious. On to the rapid fire. Minister of Jobs, Economy, and Northern Development, Brian Jean, boasted this week about the incredible jobs pipeline developed in Alberta. He touted an example this week of two people, both unceremoniously fired from their previous jobs after abysmal performance, one with only a high school education, that still managed to get extremely lucrative and high-paying positions after their time in Alberta. Congratulations to Jason Kenney and Dr. Dina Hinshaw. A skincare line founded in Edmonton, EcoMD, will be included in the Grammys gift bags this year, allowing even the most pristine, smooth-skinned Hollywood star to get that classic skin-flaking, scratchy, dry-as-a-desert Edmonton winter look. Edmonton doctors are reporting a new side effect of long COVID, but it's only affecting a narrow subset of the population. The doctors point to a case where, due to COVID, the patient was out of commission for nearly three years, and this week, confirmation was received that the patient had reached end of life. And that was it. Doctors are encouraging Albertans with symptoms to self-test and make sure they're not an indoor triple-loop roller coaster, lest they face the same fate as the Mindbender. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. This episode is brought to you by the Well-Endowed Podcast from the Edmonton Community Foundation. It's hosted and produced by Andrew Paul and Lisa Pruden, and the podcast explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. The ECF helps people create endowment funds. The podcast tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with the community. You can subscribe at thewellendowedpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Mac, I want to start off this episode with just a small update that the city has put out a press release about the plan to start implementing the 2023 to 2026 safe crossings plan. You'll recall this was the city having a list of around 450 to 600, depending on how you count, crossings that they've identified as unsafe. And the initial city plan was, eh, we'll get to this in maybe a decade while we sprawl out. Council said, no, let's go a little bit faster. And the plan is to have this list checked off by 2026. There are 100 crossings going to be addressed in 2023. I saw that announcement, Troy, 100. And I was interested to know that they built a little dashboard, which is kind of cool, I guess. So it's a Tableau screen. You can go and you can see where all the 100 locations are on a map and they're categorized. So 
some of them are raised sidewalks. Some of them are just flashing beacons. Some of them are curb extensions. Like, I think that's pretty interesting. All I can say, Troy, is I hope that we didn't spend so much on this little dashboard that we could have just implemented a few more crossings. So I just pulled up this dashboard and I took a little peruse around my neighborhood and the areas that I tend to go. You know, Mac, 100 sounds like a lot of crossing locations, right? Yeah. But I'm looking at how many crossings that I have to engage in to get to, say, downtown. It's close to 50, 60 crossings to get there. And now not every one of those is unsafe, but a lot of them are. And a lot of them, frankly, aren't addressed. 100 crossings in an entire year over a city with over 13,000 kilometers of roadway? That's not very much. And I worry a lot of this will be like our investments in snow clearing. We'll have invested in all these crossings at the end of the year. And I hope, I hope we're going to feel so much more safe as we walk around. But my very big fear with all of this is that by the end of this year, it feels as if we've done almost nothing. Because the lack of safety on Edmonton roadways is just such an insurmountable mountain. You're right. When you look at the map, it's so spread out throughout the entire city that you're going to be lucky maybe to notice a couple of these things get implemented this year. For each one, they do have some categorizations, which is kind of interesting, right? Equity, lived experience, the current state of the crossing, and then this this, uh, model plans for future growth. So like, it seems like they've been thoughtful about this, tried to be intentional about it. I think your point stands, though, that there's just so many crossings that we could improve that, you know, doing this like blanket across the city, only 100 a year is going to take time before we see the impact of that. You know, I'm a little bit down on this solution of the problem, but the city has identified unsafe crossings and are installing infrastructure to make the crossing safer. That is a pretty one-to-one relationship of like problem to solution. Yeah. Uh, Danielle Smith and Sarah Hamilton and Tim Cartmel, they got together at the downtown police station and announced the solution to downtown crime and disorder. And Mac, I didn't have this on my bingo card. <laughs> no, I don't think this is what I would have predicted that they would uh, announce. Although, you know, having said that, it totally seems obvious now, right? So this is the Edmonton Public Safety and Community Response Task Force that the province previously announced that we told you about. Councillors Sarah Hamilton and Tim Cartmel are on this, though they don't officially represent city council. Anyway, this group has now come up with its first recommendation, and it is a 15-week pilot, of course, partnership between the Edmonton Police Service and the Alberta sheriffs. And essentially the bottom line here is they're going to get 12 Alberta sheriffs and they're going to have them patrol downtown. That's it. That's the uh, that's the big solution for helping to keep downtown safe. Alberta sheriffs, for those who don't know, are primarily the almost rent-a-cops that you see around the Alberta legislature. They are, I'd call it a trial balloon for an Alberta provincial police force. They are the only police that the province has full unilateral authority to direct, and that's why they directed them. Uh, The announcement was very clear that this would not cost any additional money, that these sheriffs would just be redeployed from their existing patrol routes to help patrol these inner city neighborhoods 22 hours a day, seven days a week. Pretty well everyone who wasn't on this task force agreed that this was not the solution to the problem, that we know what the solution to the problem is, and that over-policing via sheriffs is not the way. 
Yeah, I mean, Mayor Amarjeet Sohi, of course, had a response to this, and it echoed, I think, what a lot of other people had already said just throughout the day after the announcement, which is that great to see the province putting some resources into Edmonton like we've been asking for, but what about those root causes? This is not going to do anything for addressing the root causes of social disorder. And he called again for the province to invest in support for mental health, addictions, and homelessness, all of which of course, fall under provincial jurisdiction. So I think most people looked at this and said, hmm, good to see the province doing something in Edmonton. Probably could have done something different that would have had more impact. And I think that would be a pretty charitable assessment of the situation. I think you're right. This is a little bit closer to what an interesting opportunity for a trial balloon on a provincial police force. This is something that the province has been pushing for in recent years. It is opposed by nearly every municipality across the province for a variety of reasons, but a big one being cost and and concern about oversight for such a provincial police force. So it remains to be seen if that's going to move forward. Troy, when I saw this and said, you know, it said 12 sheriffs, and and I read those numbers that you you had uh, mentioned as well, like 22 hours a day, seven days a week. That's what this gives us in terms of coverage to increase patrols. And they're talking specifically about inner city neighborhoods like Boyle Street and Macaulay. I thought, really? That's all we needed? 12? Like, couldn't we have reassigned 12 Edmonton police officers from somewhere else to give us the same kind of coverage? If this was all it took to solve the problem, why didn't the province just ask us to put more people toward these areas back in the summer instead of this whole rigmarole around a public safety plan? It seems a bit absurd. Yeah, and of course, it's a bit misleading. 12 sheriffs don't get us from zero patrol hours to 22 hours, seven days a week. It could be said that, you know, we were already patrolling, say, 20 hours a day. And now it gets up to that 22, that extra little bit of oomph. But of course, they're selling this as the big solution. And I think it is all very political. I do want to give a couple shout outs to some of the statements that uh, I had seen. The first mm-hmm. to Joanne Wright, who quietly has been this real progressive champion on council. And she's not very outspoken, even in her statement, which she criticized the implementation. She said she was pleased to see the provincial government engaging to address issues in our city's core. However, she does not believe that an escalated enforcement approach addresses the underlying causes behind social disorder, and she looks forward to further collaboration to create pathways out of poverty. And that's just all very quiet, reserved, but effective dunking on a plan, which I think describes Councillor Joanne to a T. Pragmatic, but fighting for positive change. And saying what she actually thinks here, which is that this is not going to address the underlying causes. This escalated enforcement probably is not the solution we need. Yeah, and I wanted to contrast this with the other statement that I wanted to give a shout out to, which was Councillor Tim Cartmel. And I think the only way to do this statement justice is to read it in full, which I shall do now. Imagine, if you will, I'm Tim Cartmel. Today, the provincial government, along with EPS, announced a new pilot project geared towards reducing violent crime in the inner city in Edmonton. The 15-week pilot project will see 12 sheriffs work with EPS officers and other service agencies in patrolling inner city neighborhoods to help individuals feel safe. The project is to start later this month. As a member of the provincial government's Edmonton Public Safety and Community Response Task Force, I am committed to working collaboratively with stakeholders to find solutions to address the needs of Edmontonians. Tim Cartmel, City Councillor for Ward Passwin. Mac, what did he say in that? I mean, he strung together words in the correct order, but there's not much of a statement there. He's not saying either 
I fully support this plan. It's going to make a big difference. Or I wish it was something different, but at least he's not saying anything about it. This is a plan. And I am Tim Cartmel. Yeah, great. Gold star. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, as you know, I've, I've said many times on the show, I live downtown. I work downtown. I spend all my time downtown. I walk my kids around downtown all the time. I know that my perspective is uh, not everybody's and I don't profess to speak for everybody. I just personally can't see how an occasional spotting of a sheriff is going to materially change anything downtown. I don't understand all of the folks I've seen talking about this online saying that just having these people here who are armed, who you know are walking around in the downtown is going to make people feel so much safer. It's like, is it? Have you walked through any of the pedways? Have you walked through any of the LRT stations? Have you walked down any of the streets downtown? Like 12 sheriffs spread out over this whole area for another two days a week. I don't think materially is going to change the way people feel downtown. And it just really goes back to like the, the root causes are the thing that we need so that the people aren't stuck on the street or in the pedways or, or whatever. I mean, go to, the, go to the Edmonton Public Library downtown, the Stanley Milner branch. You don't have to stay there very long before you will see an ambulance show up. That is not going to get solved by having armed sheriffs or rent-a-cops, whatever you want to call them, walking around downtown. I just I don't understand the cognitive dissonance on this. <laughs> This morning, as we're recording this on Thursday morning, uh, counselors Sarah Hamilton and Aaron Paquette were on Ryan Jesperson's show, and they had it out a little bit. I don't know that I've ever seen Aaron Paquette more direct in his comments, but he kind of called out Sarah Hamilton on some of this cognitive dissonance that you're talking about. And I think it's important to recognize how this all fits in, because Sarah Hamilton is on this task force without council authorization, as is Tim Cartmel. But when this provincial announcement was coming, we saw a tweet from, example, Councillor Michael Jans, who said, Council has been in private for most of the morning. This was Wednesday morning. I don't know what this provincial announcement is. Sarah Hamilton did not deign to update her council colleagues about what the province was going to be announcing with her later that afternoon. So that's really highlighting the schism that's arrived here. We talked about what did Sarah Hamilton know and when did she know it when she didn't or did alert Amarjeet Sohi about the formation of this task force? Well, now we have a clear example. This task force has started its business and even in an in-camera meeting, she did not tell her council colleagues about what was happening. To say that it is a political divide and that it's intentionally throwing up a wall between council and the province, I think is absolutely true. And I think the question has to be asked, when does council remove Sarah Hamilton from the police commission. We only have two council representatives on the police commission. Sarah Hamilton is one of those taking up a very valuable spot. And it seems to be a black hole of information. If Sarah Hamilton isn't going to report community safety information back to council, even in private, what value does council get by having her on the police commission? If Sarah Hamilton isn't going to officially represent council on discussions with the province about public safety and policing, what is the value of having her on the police commission? And I think it came to a head on Ryan Jesperson's show earlier today when Aaron Paquette sort of called her out. There is a sense now in across the city, but especially in core neighborhoods that you can um, commit vandalism. Like you've seen the videos of someone walking along and like cracking the glass on every storefront. You can do that and there's no consequences. Why? I 
That is an excellent question. I know. That is the question, right? Why are there no consequences? Are there not enough police officers? Are you saying that there's no resolve? Well, you're on the the police police commission. Not once has someone come to council and said, we just don't have enough police officers. I think there's been a little bit of that. That's why they talked about setting up the Healthy Streets Operations Center. There's been warnings about the future, but nothing imminent and nothing right now, because I would have noticed that. If this is the representation we're getting on the police commission, if this is the amount of feedback we're getting to counsel from our representative on the police commission, I have to be wondering what the breaking point is for councils. Because like Sir Hamilton said on Ryan Jesperson's show earlier today, Why for those just okay, tuning in, but, let's point out that Councilor Hamilton yeah, I, is on yeah, yeah, the task force. Okay. I sit on it and I, I know that and I want to acknowledge that a lot of my colleagues, that's been a really divisive issue and I've got some work to do in repairing that relationship. Like hmm. I will I like I'll own that. Well, I think not only did you break the trust and you have to work to repair those relationships, but you also have to deal with the consequences. And removal from the police commission, I think, is a no-brainer consequence. I don't know if we're going to see it happen, but I can't see any reason why we shouldn't. I think it's a fair question to ask. Do you think council is going to uh, go down that road anytime soon? I would say there are probably four or five votes to do it right now, and that's not enough votes. Yeah. But I would say a couple more events like this, where an in-camera meeting doesn't get an update and there's very clear politicking coming from this task force. Yeah, I don't know. Um, the votes might be ticking up sooner than we think. <laughs> I'm thinking of uh, of Avengers here, Troy, and I'll do you one better. Why is Gamora? Why not have a, you know, what's the point of having a police commission at all these days? And And I say that because it really seems like Police Chief Dale McPhee has been able to extract something that he wants here, but from the province instead of directly from the city. And and his comments in the press conference, you know, kind of allude to the fact that he he doesn't see a problem with essentially going around the police commission and city council and, and what's here to try and to support his operations in the city. So he talked uh, in response to one of the questions about transit police officers. And the way that he answered that question was, you know, it's uh, transit peace officers, transit police officers, TPOs. They're responsible for, you know, patrolling the, uh, the the trains and the LRT stations. And that's not our decision. That was decided on, upon by somebody else. But that's the way that it is right now. Just the way that he answered that, sort of indicating that, you know, he could see a role for the police to be doing that rather than the TPOs to doing that. Maybe it's true they haven't explicitly said that they don't have the resources to properly patrol or to uphold the laws in these areas, because I think saying that would be pretty problematic for them. But anybody who's been paying attention can see that they hint at this continuously and constantly. They talk regularly in the media about their resources being stretched thin. Dale McPhee essentially threatened downtown at some point during these discussions with city council over the last year to say that if we brought more people into uh, downtown for patrol, that means we're pulling people from other parts of the city, which will now become unsafe. I mean, they've essentially said we need more people in order to do this well without saying exactly those words. And so then to be able to go to his buddies at the province and have 12 sheriffs now come and essentially be uh, Edmonton police service officers for a little while without you know any of the regular process or oversight that would happen through the Edmonton Police Commission is, is a pretty interesting change, I would say. I want to bring this back just briefly to the root cause thing. I think it's great that Councillor Paquette 
you know, started asking those hard questions and uh, and really challenging his colleague, Councillor Hamilton, on this, I think it's important that we start to hear from our police commission and, and they start to challenge the police chief on some of this. I mean, his comments about this and during this news conference and previous ones where he talks about how housing is not going to keep people safe. You know, it's a point of view, I suppose, but like that should not go unchallenged. And it should be the role of our police commission to be challenging, you know, the EPS and the chief and everyone under his direction about those things. If that's the kind of model that we want to have in Edmonton, if everybody agrees that the root causes are about homelessness and mental health and addictions, then how do, why do we allow our police chief to go and talk about how what we really need is, you know, armed people to make people feel safe. I think that should be challenged. I should note on that point, uh, there is a new chair of the Edmonton Police Commission. Uh, I don't believe we've mentioned on this podcast, but at the start of the year, Eric Amptman, uh, he is the executive director of Ed Poverty Edmonton, also a police commissioner, and he is now the sitting chair of the Edmonton Police Commission, replacing John McDougall. And he was, of course, the vice chair previously and uh, certainly seemed a little uncomfortable un- uncomfortable during some of those meetings uh, early last year when the police commission was getting challenged following the convoy. So we'll see if uh, he takes the you know, the reins here. Of course, it's not all police all the time, though it does comprise the biggest budget item. There was other parts of our budget that got debated uh, this week. 24 budget motions, in fact, in the blink of an eye, went through city council, and most of them were just unanimously withdrawn. Or passed unanimously or withdrawn. Yeah, there was 24 motions that were left over from last year's budget process. I think a few of them got laid over actually to the next meeting because they ran out of time. But most of them, they just passed unanimously. Most of them are requests for information or, you know, follow ups on things that emerged during the budget discussion. Like I said, some of them were withdrawn. Councillors felt like maybe they didn't actually need that information anymore, wasn't relevant anymore. But there were three that were not unanimous that I thought were uh, potentially a little bit interesting to pull out. One of them is related to one of those root causes, so affordable housing. Uh, Councillor Principe had asked for information about community housing versus mixed market housing, as well as nonprofit daycare spaces uh, as part of the next report on the affordable housing strategy. So just looking to add some more information here that did pass 10 to 3, but Councillor Salvador, Tang, and Rutherford were opposed to having that information brought in. Uh, The second one was Councillor Stevenson asked for information about how education tax room, the part that we we collect on behalf of the province, has been used in the past, and to get some options for how we might use that funding in the future to fund priority areas. This has been a a topic of discussion that maybe the province should let the city keep that revenue and then we could use it on things like affordable housing and and other things. And that report's coming back in the spring when we hear about the budget adjustment. And it passed 11 to 2. Councillor Rice and Councillor Principe were opposed to that. And then the third one, it's about bike plan, bike lanes, everybody's favorite, but it's actually about lighting along the bike plan. Uh, And Council Rutherford was looking for a report with some options for how we could enhance lighting on the existing infrastructure to make it more safe and encourage people to use it uh, as part of, you know, encouraging more people to shift their modes of transportation away from vehicles. And that one also passed 11 to 2, but with Rice and Principe opposed. Absolutely shocking. Shocking news there. (laughs) We're giving you hard-hitting journalism here this week, Troy. Let's not sell yourselves short. Taproot does do real journalism, and some of the beats that you follow especially well are the tech beats. So the story we brought last week about AI investment perhaps withdrawing from the city of Edmonton, losing our little 
badge of honor of having a deep mind in the city of Edmonton that was signaling mm, a little bit of icky feelings for artificial intelligence companies in the state of Edmonton. But uh, there were some follow-ups with Amy potentially getting a lot more investment in the city of Edmonton. Well, making a lot more investment in the city, actually. So, you know, this was uh, just a week after that news, which Amy sort of downplayed a little bit, which I think was probably wise of them to do. I mean, the closure of the office is not a good thing, but it doesn't mean that Amy disappears or that all of the great researchers that are tenured at the University of Alberta disappear or anything like that. And this week they announced $30 million in investment for 20 new research positions in artificial intelligence. And so they will bring in, you know, 20 new people to work on artificial intelligence in relation to other sectors, other industries. So this is interdisciplinary research, which is really interesting. And so kind of think of it like the University of Alberta was already, you know, a hotbed of uh, AI research. We already have some of the most world-renowned researchers here. And now we're taking this investment and we're going to not only have that happen in the computing science department, but, you know, spread that throughout the university to impact things like health and energy and indigenous initiatives. And so, uh, you know, this funding is going to bring on research chairs to look at all of those different areas. So this is artificial intelligence, but interdisciplinary. How does it apply to those other sectors? So this is a really big investment into our city. This is at the University of Alberta, not spread across the province or anything like that. And um, I think this will have a real lasting impact on how research at the University of Alberta uh, related to AI is continued to be kind of world renowned and, and seen around the world. And there's one other thing I thought that was interesting about this and the reporting that we've done recently about Amy, we were talking about commercialization, right? And everybody who's listening to this has tried chat GPT by now. And, and there's maybe some concern that, you know, we had all this great research coming out of Edmonton, hasn't it passed us all by and we missed the boat and all the companies are being built elsewhere. And I don't think that's true. Amy certainly doesn't think that's true. And this kind of goes to show that there's lots of opportunity for additional research. We're really still in the early days of how, you know, all of the incredible things that have happened in artificial intelligence are going to impact us. And there's so much scope for Edmonton and the U of A to be the center of, you know, so many new discoveries and developments and, and future commercialization. I know I have played with chat and GPT quite a lot. Um, I did ask it to uh, write a Speaking Municipally podcast in my voice at one point. Um, didn't perform very well, Mac. Do you know why? Not enough data? Yeah, it had no idea who I was. I am not popular enough for chat GPT to know how to talk like me. So thank you, AI, for knocking me down a peg. This will be one of the requirements for a homegrown solution at the University of Alberta. Of course, they have to know who I am, right? Like. They have to be listening to speaking in <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Somebody they would know about, and you probably could ask it, is uh, Richard Sutton. Rich Sutton, he's a leading AI researcher. He's the world expert on reinforcement learning, is what it's called. He was one of the people that was formerly employed by DeepMind. And so, you know, there might have been a concern that when that office in Edmonton closes, like, what do people like Rich Sutton do? And uh, the logic is reporting that he's actually considering launching a new venture here in Alberta. It could be a nonprofit or a startup. He's not really sure yet. You know, he seems like he's committed to uh, helping to grow the thing here, uh, which is which is just great to see. And so maybe uh, maybe everybody was right that it wasn't such a big deal after all. Well, people are known to make a big deal out of something that may or may not be a big deal. And a microcosm of that happened in Ritchie this week. Uh, we had talked about the Ritchie Health Hub, Boyle Street, 
opening up a health services center in West Ritchie by White Ave and Pablo Cheesetart, the area by the train tracks. This week, there was a community meeting about it. Depending on whose reporting you read, the entire room was in favor of it or opposed to it, but it was very contentious in every report. Yeah, the reporting I saw about this, I did not attend the meeting myself, but others who did said it was standing room only. So it was really well attended, but at times it got really fiery and erupted in shouting and, and there was a lot of disagreement about um, how the organization might be, say, a good neighbor to those who are in the area. So I had a couple of my uh, little birds at the Ritchie Health Hub meeting. I didn't attend in person, but I got the Cliff's Notes. Uh, a couple things that I found were interesting about it was initially the meeting was supposed to be a presentation followed by experts at different panels so you could go around the room and talk to the city talk to the police talk to boyle street talk to uh nurses different experts to address different concerns that you might have had and when that was presented uh there was a couple loud people there was an organized group at the meeting the scona concerned citizens you know anyone can put together an acronym but this is a group of citizens who were concerned about the supervised consumption site being opened in the neighborhood. And they got up and said, no, you're trying to silence our voices. We want open forum Q&A. And the organizers at Boyle Street eventually acquiesced. So the entire night changed uh, from format to basically everyone comes up to the mic and asks a question and then it's answered as a group. A recipe for uh, success at a public meeting, if I've ever heard one. Yeah, you know, I've seen Parks and Rec before. Um, but the ironic part of it all is I don't know how much it helped or hurt uh, the uh, Scona Concerned Citizens because while, you know, they had this captive audience to let their ranting be known, I was told the biggest laugh of the night came from one of the opponents of the supervised consumption site getting to the front and saying, this area where you're going to install this supervised consumption site. It's got a daycare. It's got a school. It's got businesses. It's got children. It's got families. It's got parks. And someone from the back of the room pipes up, sounds like you're living in a city. <laughs> and the whole room laughed. To say that this was a pushback from the community, I think is incorrect. There were plenty of people in support that were present, and there were plenty of people in opposition, as you would sort of expect from something like this. Yeah, and I think also at the end of the day, when you when you think about uh, what location should it be, it doesn't really matter because the provincial government's own review of supervised consumption sites that they commissioned back in 2020 found that 82% of Edmontonians and 63% of business owners were supportive of a consumption site, supervised consumption site in their area, which is way higher than in other parts of the province. So it doesn't matter where in Edmonton they pick, most people seem to feel like these would be a good thing to have. And and most residents surveyed also said, you know, that they didn't notice any increase in, you know, any of the behaviors that people are worried about with the consumption sites that were open at the time. As a final note, um, we mentioned an approval process. So this Boyle Street Health Hub, this is going to open. Um, there's planning process and we talked about the zoning last week. So the Health Hub is going to open in Ritchie. The overdose prevention site or supervised consumption site, that still requires approval from the province. Uh, the health hub is going to open with or without it, but uh, we'll be following up over the next couple of weeks to see the progress. Uh, we don't know how long it will take for the province to decide on this. Of course, the UCP has been very hesitant to approve supervised consumption sites. We've seen a lot of demand, especially in places like Lethbridge and Edmonton, for these sites. That's something we're going to have to watch in the coming weeks. 
Another thing we encourage people to watch is their utilities bill. That electricity rate, it's going up. And this episode is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta. They offer internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. Winter is here and energy usage for all Albertans will be increasing. Winter's here for another six weeks, Mac. The groundhog saw its shadow. Darn groundhogs. Now's a great time for our listeners to look at their utility bills and ensure they're on the best plan. Albertans have a choice with who they pay their utility bills to. Park Power is happy to provide a free no-obligations comparison. And if you decide to switch providers, it's easy. And you can feel good knowing you're supporting a local business and helping give back to your communities with your utilities bill. You can learn more at parkpower.ca. And that's all for this week, Mac. Another episode in the books. Go to Chinatown. Eat some food. Enjoy. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.